Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is a Kickstarter Spotlight episode. Today, we're going to be talking about a really exciting uh, campaign that's going on currently. It's already fully funded, uh, and the creator is actually somebody that we've had on the show before uh, to talk about his uh, image title, uh, Self Made, which we really loved. So it's my pleasure to welcome Matt Groom back to the show. Matt, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the chance to talk about the book and talk to you again, of course. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. I, I'm so glad. You know, I'm glad. First of all, I'm glad to see you continuing to do stuff with uh, with Kyle Higgins. I think it's safe to say at this point uh, he's kind of a, a mentor for you, uh, for sure. and he's a uh, a creator that we're big fans of here at the Comic Source. And you know, he's been on to talk about his projects, Radiant Black, and his his Kickstarter he did with uh, with Lance Briggs. Yep. Uh, which was uh, successful. The trap. Well, yeah, yep. the trap, which is uh, still still being worked on. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, so you've got this project. And when I first, you were first teasing it, I was wondering if it was going to come out from Image, like Self Made did, how you were going to distrib- uh, distribute it. And it seems like it, it it goes hand in hand with what Kyle's doing in, in Radiant Black. Same universe, sort of. So why don't you start off with telling our uh, our listeners uh, what Inferno Girl is all about? Yeah, sure. I feel like I've got the pitch down at this point. I've done it enough. I should be able to get it. Okay. <laughs> so a team, a team girl named Cassia, who has had a life, uh, a, a really challenging life, gets a chance for a fresh start when she's invited to a prestigious and cutting-edge school in the near-utopian Apex City. But that fresh start is put at risk when an ancient cult and their army of demons rips a- Apex City out of reality entirely. Now, a magical dragon bracelet has rocketed into Cassie's life and affixed itself to her arm, giving her and the city a fighting chance at survival, but only if she could muster the faith in herself and the future required to wield the belief-powered bracelet so she could live up to a secret legacy, defend those she cares about most, and rescue Apex City as Inferno Girl Red. So that's kind of like the elevator pitch. Uh, It's an OGN. It's got a bit of like British boarding school drama in there. It's got a bit of like American superhero stuff, a little bit of tokusatsu influence, a bit like Radiant Black, because uh, Kyle and I sort of share inspirations. So yeah, that's the, that's the the gist of it. So it's it sounds like you know hearing you re- read that story and you're talking about this young heroine uh, and she's kind of thrown into the deep end with this dragon bracelet and all this action. I mean, just hearing you describe it, it sounds first of all really really fun, and second of all, it seems like it's going to be one of those stories where. We don't even get a chance to catch our breath. It's just action after action, page after page. Is that uh, is that pretty close to the truth? Yeah, I think it's definitely. I mean, part of I think what one of the many things that makes me a big fan of of Tokusatsu stuff is that it is so much larger than life, and that it is very emotive. But all of those emotions are expressed in these like super fantastical and like large scale ways. So there is a lot of that, but also part of the reason we want to do an OGN is so that we could have time for character moments. So we could really like learn who Cassia is as a person and follow her on that journey so that when we get to those really high action, super high energy moments, it means something. Uh, so yeah, like, I, I feel like that there is absolutely a lot of like really big scale action and, and both Eric and Igor are amazing at representing that on the page, but we do spend time with Cassia and her friends and her other sort of close relationships. And um, yeah, that, that was part of the reasoning for the, the OGN format. Well, I would say that it's one of the strengths of, of your writing. I've seen it uh, obviously in self-made, which I, I, I referenced there several times with uh, the main protagonist where there are some quieter moments. And even in the Ultraman, 
um, Marvel series that you did with uh, with Kyle, um, same thing. There are time for for quiet moments. Uh, I certainly think that's that's necessary. So I'm glad to hear that that's uh, going to be part of it. You're you're aware of that 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 we need to have that because here's the thing about what we know of, of Cassia from from reading the information on the, the the Kickstarter page. She's a very pragmatic and rational person, right? So yeah. <laughs> of all people to get this dragon bracelet and be thrown into this crazy world you've got to sort of show us that side of her before you can take us on the journey right absolutely and i think it that what you touched on there was really the whole genesis of the book before anything else had really fallen into place it came from me having these questions about belief myself and how important and vital it is to achieve great unlikely things but also how difficult it can be to muscle belief but also how dangerous it can be to lead you down a sort of like a self-delusion a self-deluded path so that it's i never want to get into a book with an idea that i've made up my mind about i think self-made was kind of the the same way where self-made was about what is your destiny in the world and how do you figure out your own path in life that's something that going into the book i didn't have any firm ideas so i feel like if you go in with a topic that you're like this is the answer then you're just doing propaganda right like right. that that's 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 not interesting to anyone i don't think but when you go in ready to ex- explore these ideas yourself and with the characters go on this journey i feel like you get to something a lot more meaningful and, and uh intellectually robust so same situation here where um i think there's a some of myself in cassia that like i have experienced things that like are, you know, don't necessarily lend themselves to rational explanation, but also I'm a relatively rational person myself. I don't have particularly defined beliefs either. So yeah, spending that time with Cassia, understanding why she is who she is and what led to this point in her life and then going on that journey with her, I think is the interesting part of the story. And then having that expressed in all of the, you know, the, the very over the top tokusatsu way is just the, the fun part of experiencing that. Yeah. Uh, her, her mother's also mentioned uh, in, uh, on the Kickstarter page. Uh, yeah. So that made me curious about the the supporting cast because oftentimes when we, we are, we do go on this character journey and we see them evolve those, uh, you know, a lot of times the, the, sort of situations that the protagonist finds themselves in, they can be our POV character. But in, in terms of watching a character grow and change and evolve, I feel like so often it's the supporting cast and how they see a character change that we can then relate to and realize, oh yeah, they are uh, evolving. So uh, will there be a, a supporting cast beyond her mother? Is there anything else uh, about the supporting cast you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's actually a relatively extensive supporting cast um, and something that I worked on with Erica, my co-creator quite a bit was developing the supporting cast and figuring out their perspectives on everything and making sure everything felt, uh, sort of like textured and nuanced. And we had a particular perspective on, on everything. Uh, and Cassie's mother in particular is a very important character because I think a lot of Cassie's perspective in life comes from what happened to Cassie's mother when they were growing up. She was involved in some stuff in the past and had her name kind of unfairly dragged through the mud and became sort of a pariah in society Mm. for doing the right thing. And Cassia had to sort of like grow up watching all of that happen to her mother. 
and her 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 mum still keeps all of that uh, belief in the goodness of the world and still has a really positive can do attitude, which Cassie doesn't really get necessarily. So seeing those two play off each other because their, their, their trauma kind of comes from the same place, but they've processed it in very different ways. So the way that they see each other and how they influence each other is like hugely important to the book. But then obviously when you have a, a boarding school type drama, you want to introduce Cassia to some other students and have those other students and their perspectives on the world influence Cassia and vice versa. So obviously there's a lot of that as well. Yeah, and I think that that's cool because you, like you said, if it is a boarding school environment, you do sort of need that uh, perspective of, of other students. And you just need, we need to meet some more of the cast and more of the students just to kind of feel like we're, we're immersed in that world. So uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you mentioned Era a couple, uh, Erica a couple of times, your, your yeah. artist on the book. Um, so I, I wanted to ask how the collaboration has been with her, uh, obviously an, an Italian artist. So I imagine you guys are working remotely. So uh, yeah. I know that presents its own challenges. Um, but talk a little bit about your collaboration with her. Uh, and also if you could touch on designing the the world and, and the characters. Did you have an idea what you wanted? Did you turn it over to Erica to say, hey, go crazy and come back? And, and was it a back and forth? Let us know how that process was. Yeah, I certainly had some ideas. I think... <laughs> Part of the reason we ended up selecting Erica was because she could do everything that we needed her to do in the sense of, I think for a book like this, you need to have really big dynamic action and you need to have really heartfelt character moments. So that was kind of like the bar and Erica knocked it out of the park on both of those fronts. But I also think we needed someone who had a particular sense of style. And I do mean that a little bit in terms of like straight fashion because these are these are young people, right? And I think that it's like a, a little, a few steps into the future is kind of wh- where this book is set. So we're trying to imagine fashion in the future. And I, I'm barely across fashion from 20 years ago. So obviously I'm not the right person right. to make that, make those sort of judgments. But beyond that, I wanted the world to have a particular style. Something I said a, a few times to the team was I wanted the book to feel like what a superhero book might look like in a few years. I want us to try and, because I think so often superhero books could be backwards looking, like they're trying to reach for the greatness of the past. And I, I was very big on, let's try and really reimagine things. And I know that's like a very egotistical position to take almost, but it, it, to me, it was about, let's just try something fresh. And if, and if it is a little weird and it doesn't work, at least we've staked out some new territory and explored some new things and, whatever successes or losses we find there will be our own. And Erica had such a specific take on the world and the characters that I I knew straight away, like she absolutely had to be the the co-creator. And I think part of it is we are envisioning a somewhat optimistic future. Like Apex City in particular is a place where they've tried some very bold things in terms of how to build a city and how to operate a community. And a lot of it is kind of working for them. And we wanted to have that sense of this is a world that, you know, up until the story really gets rolling, things are going really well in this place, but we didn't want it to be a sort of generic utopia. We wanted it to be what if the world went right, but in a very specific kind of way that has its own feel and vibe so you could get connected to this particular version of what the world might be like. Uh, and that, that's where she excelled, but both in terms of like the world scale, world building, and also the people, like all of the characters have this really particular 
style about them. They feel so fully formed and you can get a sense of who they are just from looking at them, despite the fact that they don't really look like anybody else you've seen before. So yeah, I absolutely invaluable. I think so much of the success of the Kickstarter so far has come down to people getting that sense of Erica's vision for the world straight away and going like, oh, I haven't seen that before. This feels new and different and I want that. Yeah, I'd say Erica, but also uh, uh, Igor's work doing doing oh, the colors yeah. because uh, you know this this first of all the, the the character designs that we get to see in the page are amazing. I hope that those are in the in the book because I could stare at those designs by Erica all day. They uh, sure are. But uh, Apex City has this idea of of, and I love it when when creators can do this in their in their projects where you have it in a setting, and the setting is so well defined and so unique it becomes a character in and of itself. Absolutely, and and beyond Erica's designs, the color work that Igor's brought to it, I feel like he's nailing it. It's phenomenal. It's it's so what because we had a pretty extensive search for a colorist. It was difficult because, as I said, we were really looking for that. What could a superhero comic look like in a couple of years? And Igor doesn't have a super extensive body of work, uh, but for me, it was. There was two things. There was his work on Mega Man Fully Charged. And also he did a Batman cover. Might have been for Detective. I can't quite say off the top of my head. I think it has Poison Ivy on the cover. But just the way the city is depicted and the colors in it and the vibrancy. And the, exactly the same thing with Mega Man. Like the, the action was really powerful and palpable. And the palette was amazing. But also the way he guides you through the page. It's not like an overbearing the colors are just like, it's too much. It's like Skittles. It's really vibrant palette, but he knows how to control the mood of the scene and direct you through the mood of the scene. And the, yeah, I, I just have been blown away by him at all, but also how he works with Erica. Like they're just such a firecracker combination. Yeah, I agree from the the sample pages that we see on on the page to your point. There's times where he's, in terms of, of palette, he, he's kind of keeping it all, you know, in the same kind of mo- monotone where he's just using these variations of shading. So as you said, it keeps you in the right mood. It keeps you in the right yeah. frame of mind. You, you stay in that level of emotion as opposed to, and there's nothing wrong with doing telling stories in, in a, another way where you do have a much more primary diverse palette that feels more, you know, kind of silver agey and, and fun. But I think you're going for something a little more serious here with, uh, with the story with, with Cassia as we go on this journey. She's really trying to learn and especially at this age where she fits in the world right i mean is that how it's relatable you know at that age we're all trying to find out discover who we are that's a huge part of it i think that's why i felt like cassia was the right person for this story because i think that how much belief you have in yourself and how much you believe in what the world could be these are important things all through your life but i think at that age, it's particularly important because you're making some decisions then when these sort of like paternal guardrails are taken off and you need to make some life choices for yourself that these things can really define the course of your life. So it's at this point when things are particularly dramatic and heightened and important. And I think that's where the the palette really supports that idea of things are like the colors are vibrant and intense because the emotions are vibrant and intense, but also they are, as you said, they're, they're serious. Like these things, the stakes are very high for the world here, but they're also very high for Cassia. Like she's working through some stuff that's going to define her as a person for the rest of her life. So it can't be too, uh, yeah, like 
take the color and and thin it has to feel uh like deep and meaningful and i think the colors are communicate communicate that in a really important way yeah and can you talk a little bit about um deciding to go with a, a female protagonist and, and particularly a female protagonist of color with cassia yeah i think for me part of it is i think there's just a greater need for diversity in general but i also think that when you're telling a story about reasons why why you might have some reason to believe that the odds of the world are a little stacked against you mm-hmm. and why you're probably not going to be set up to succeed in the right way and why you might be a little bit skeptical about anybody tells you tell you that you can go out and change the world i think it would be a little disingenuous for that to be a straight white dude right. who has the best possible opportunity to to succeed um and it, part of that it, it is partly about cassia but it, it's also partly about cassie's mother and the treatment that she received and how she was kind of discarded by the world and i think that is a unfortunately more particularly female experience um that was a big part too of why i was very insistent that we find a female co-creator for the project because i think as much as that made sense for the story that we're telling obviously that's not a perspective that i have naturally um so working with somebody who had that more authentic female experience was particularly important to make sure it felt not 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 like a passage you know not like my ideas of what it's like to be a woman because that's not going to be helpful or enjoyable for anybody particularly well yeah that was going to be my next question if that uh informed you choosing erica so so uh, it it sounds like when erica came on you probably bounced some story ideas off her as well right it wasn't just visual but it was like hey here's the story we're going to tell you know here's where we're trying to to take this uh, girl and she really did have input beyond just okay this is what you know the drawings on the page look like Absolutely. And I think like, if you're doing a creator-owned book, that's the way it absolutely has to be. Um, I think it results in the best comics um, because you're getting a, a wider set of perspectives. But I also think that in a creator-owned work, it really lives and dies on the passion of the team. Mm-hmm. And if everybody involved isn't giving it their all, you're not going to be able to make any ways because all that you have is the passion of the team. Like you don't have known characters you don't have like a known brand you're really starting from scratch so i think having erica be able to really co-create the world with me helped her get passionate involved in the process and she is so passionate and so involved that i I wouldn't have it any other way yeah being that this is your first uh you know kickstarter obviously images creator but in a different way uh, how yeah. have you how have you found that that Kickstarter experience? Have you uh, enjoyed it? I mean, I know it's a, it's kind of a lot more heavy lifting. Um, oh yeah. You know, I mean, Image doesn't do a lot, uh, but they do you know deal deal with printers and and things like that. Certainly, going Kickstarter is much different than doing something you know, work for hire at Marvel or whatever. So, how's the experience been for you? Yeah, it's been intense. <laughs> it's been a lot of work. Um, I, like I've really enjoyed it. I think doing self-made image was a good start i think because as as you've alluded to an image you have to make a lot more decisions than you would be um you know say that kyle and i are doing an ultra at marvel like you're you're thinking about paper stock you're thinking about trade dress all that sort of stuff and kickstarters like that but you know a few uh (laughs) a few scales bigger 
and the the groundwork and prep. I think I like I, I've been so overwhelmed with the response and so grateful, and I think it's such a huge privilege that so many people come to support us. But I think every now and then people will be like, "Wow, you just it just sort of popped from out out of the gate, and like it just sort of took off all of a sudden." And I'm like, "Well, look, we put in a lot of work leading yeah. up to it. Um, it's." It's a lot more work than it seems like from the outside, but also it's all worth it. Like seeing people get excited and support us. And like we've seen fan art, we've seen like custom figures. Uh, I've seen some like uh, like 16-bit pixel art of Inferno Go Red. It's, yeah, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been incredible. But I would also caution anyone thinking about doing it if like don't go in half-cocked. Like you <laughs> really want to put in the groundwork and make sure that you're ready to commit some money and also a big chunk of your life to this because it's going to be going to be hard work. Yeah. And that's a good point because uh, even before you launched uh, you guys were out there, you know, putting it out there on social media. And, and I had reached out to you saying, Hey, when this launches, we got to get you on the show. You know, a lot yeah. of people, I think they don't necessarily put in that much work and then it launches and they don't realize, well, how come nobody showed up? So you're right. It's, it, it's great advice. And also what didn't help is right when it launched that you, you got sick. Right. I got so sick. I can't even tell you how sick I got. It's been a, it's been a weird one actually. I got more sick than I've been in years. And then I just got better from that. And then I have been on a wait list for some surgery for my nose and somebody dropped off the list and like, Oh, we can get you in. And I was like, Oh, all right. So I went in and I just had that done. So if you can hear any like gross bubbling sounds from my nose or if my, my voice sounds off, that's what that is. So I've been like, I've been writing Kickstarter post updates from literally from a hospital bed. Um, I've been like calling people on the phone from, you know, uh, <laughs> being sick in bed. It's been, it's been an intense experience, but I think that's another place where having done all of that pre-work really paid off. It's so I could time, kind of yeah. take a little bit of time to rest as we launch because otherwise we'd be in big trouble. Yeah. Well, well that's dedication, Matt. I'm sure I, I'll, if I mentioned it to a lot of the other creators we've had on, could you imagine having to have surgery in the middle of your campaign? And they'd be like, no, it's, it's enough, <laughs> it's enough as, it, as it is. Uh, well, we've mentioned Kyle's name a, a few times, Kyle Higgins, and obviously we're big fans here. And, uh, you know, you yourself mentioned uh, you consider him a mentor. Um, he's your editor on this project. Uh, when you first brought the idea to him, um, did anything change from from his input or or you guys talking about the idea back back and forth what what has he done to help you uh kind of refine the the story and the the uh the world that's been built here that's an interesting question because i've been working on this for so long that i almost like struggle to remember any particular story advice i think like kyle's definitely been great at helping us sort of like figure out the structure of the story and things like that. But I also think a lot of the great experience that Kyle has is in his ability to create things from nothing. I think he's kind of like one of the, the great creator owned people. Uh, and I think that's true of comics. Obviously he's had a great run of creator in comics, but also he does short films. He'll have uh, like, live orchestra soundtracks for his comics. He'll just go out and make things no matter how logistically difficult it is. So having him involved has really helped us in terms of connecting with talented people to um, bring in for prints, for example, for the, for the Kickstarter campaign, 
uh, he's he's been great in helping sort of like expand our mindset of what we could what we could do. Like the helmets, for example, that we have as part of our campaign as a reward. He's like, oh, what if we did that? He's just um, got this real like self starter mentality and knows everybody and that's such an invaluable combination to have in an editor especially when you're trying to do something that's kind of a little boundary breaking a little bit yeah definitely and you mentioned the the prince and and that brings me to my my next question which you know we mentioned radiant black and i I already uh, commented that maybe this could be in in the same world we do see uh on one of the prints that we've got uh inferno girl red and, and radiant black in the same print so can you say, I mean, are these in fact in the, in the same universe or is it just something that, that could be possible down the line? What I will say is that there are very many benefits to having a creator-owned series. You have a lot of freedom. So I think when you have two people who have creator-owned series, who have series that share inspirations and their creators who work together quite frequently, uh, that is a very good setup for a potential crossover. And I think that it would be uh, foolish for us to at least not consider that possibility when there are so many uh, potential elements working in our favor. Um, so that's about as much as I'll say sure. for that, right? No, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, a per- that's a perfect answer. I mean, you don't want to, you know, put it, you know, obviously we don't want to spoil anything. And also, you don't want to, you know, say something if it doesn't turn out to, to be that way. But yeah, I mean, you're right. The potential is there. And, uh, you know, if this Kickstarter is obviously done very well. Radiant Black is doing very well. Uh, so sure, who knows, yeah. you know, who, who knows what the, the future might hold. Uh, I, I do find it sort of interesting. We have Radiant Black, right? And we've seen other characters in, in Radiant Black. And there's been hints that maybe there are other uh, colors. And your book is called Infernal Girl Red. Uh, could it, and again, no, without spoiling anything, just the, uh, tease as vague as you want could it be possible that we'd see other inferno girl inferno girl green or inferno girl blue is it is that a a possibility that this world is much bigger than just inferno girl red yeah i mean i think it's certainly an astute observation that you probably wouldn't have to designate her inferno girl red if she was the only inferno girl right and i think also you can probably draw some lines to the inspirations that both Kyle and I have drawn from and the backgrounds that Kyle and I share Right. Um, that, yeah, that it would certainly be a logical place to take the story if there were more. More to be, more to be told. Uh, yeah. And, and I, and again, I don't want to put you on the spot. You're still in the middle of this one and have a long way to go. A lot of work to do. You may not even want to be thinking about uh, another campaign down the line, but if you uh, had the opportunity, would you do it as a, another Kickstarter if you have another story to tell in this world, or would you go to Image or or some other place, or, or do you like the the Kickstarter model for this particular project? Yeah, I'm not really sure at this stage, to be honest. I think like I, I very much enjoyed the Kickstarter experience, um, and I think the support that we've seen has been incredible. Um, and I think that there's kind of like two perspectives you can take on it and i think one of them is that once you've raised money through kickstarter to launch your project and it's been successful is it strange to come back and ask for more money to do more but i think the other perspective to take is that through kickstarter we've been able to offer the people who have supported us first this exclusive version of the book with the exclusive cover the exclusive art all of these extras that only they'll get and would it not only be fair to 
offer those same supporters that same chance for a second potential book uh, and, and let them have that opportunity if they want it. So like, I haven't quite figured out exactly where we should be landing on that one yet, but it's on my mind for sure. Yeah. It's certainly something to be said for building a community, a community of your own fans. And, you know, just like with the differences in, in, uh, how many decisions you have to make versus, you know, work for hire at Marvel or image yeah. or, or doing Kickstarter, uh, you've removed Kickstarter removes the middleman completely. And you are, you know, going directly to the fans to, to say, Hey, this is what we're creating. Uh, not only are we creating a, a project, but we're creating a community. And you yourself mentioned how great the community has been with the fan so art. Great. And, and so, uh, yeah, I, I kind of hope just to put in my own two cents as a fan of your work. I, yeah, I would hope that if you if you do another uh, an, another project in this world, that you come back to to Kickstarter. Cool. Well, yeah, I really appreciate that perspective because I think it's something that we've been thinking about. Obviously, as you said, it's it's way down the line. We're right. still going to make this book, which will take us a year uh, to get out. But it's something that's been on our minds. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about some of the tiers that are available and. Uh, I usually like to, to kind of start at the bottom with, with just the book and, and talk about that, but we got to start at, at almost the top here uh, yeah. because I got to ask you about the helmet. It, it, it's already gone, everybody, so you can't get it, but there was a, a handmade full-scale uh, wearable Inferno Girl helmet. Yes. Uh, oh my God. Was that like the coolest thing ever to to have that made? I can't even <laughs> tell you, like, cause it's a, um... We actually haven't got the final version yet, but we've been going through this process of like, here's a rough 3D render, here's a final 3D render, here's a, like a miniature physical prototype, here's a full-size physical prototype. And each time we get one of those in, I lose my flippant mind. <laughs> I'm like banging on the table, like yelling, because it's so cool. I think Erica knocked it out of the park with her design. And then just seeing it in the real world is so wild, particularly because the book isn't out yet. It won't be for a while. Like it feels like we're way ahead of the curve, but people seem really into it. I can see why, because it's coming out so well. And um, the the people who make it over at Star Trek Props, like they do incredible work. So people within the sort of like particularly Power Rangers cosplay community, that they, they know this is quality work. So like you can trust that this is going to be a, a helmet that's, uh, you know, is worth getting if you want to do a really great uh, Inferno Go Red cosplay. So, uh, yeah, I, I was so excited to get to uh, organize that and offer that to people. Now, were you surprised? Did you think it would for sure go or were you not sure? Because it went pretty quickly, right? Uh, yeah, it went. So I think we like eight of the 10 helmets went within the first few hours of us putting it up. And I honestly had no idea, right? Because I think that there's, to me, there's kind of, and I don't want to be too simplistic here, but kind of two types of fans of this sort of stuff. Like one is people who are fans of the story and get really invested in the characters. And that typically only comes when they've read the book and been able to get into the characters. But then there's people who see the design and they just love the aesthetic and, and Erica's work and they jump on that. And I think there's been a lot of people in that latter category very fairly because Erica's so talented. And I think there are a lot of people who, yeah, are so into it that, the ability to get a physical helmet now is so appealing, but I wasn't sure that, that would be the case. I didn't really know how well it, it would go, like whether it would be a, like people go, Oh, why would we want this now? Like, should we read the book and see if we're into it right. first? But yeah. no, people just, people are into it. It's been great. Yeah. And I was kind of surprised myself because I thought, well, that's a really, really cool idea. But to, 
to your point, people don't know this character yet. So, you yep. know, she, she's not beloved because, oh, she, I can relate to her. I've been through the same things and yeah. that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I was watching and right away a couple went. And then I think I checked back the next day. And like you said, eight of them were gone. I was like, holy cow. That's it, it has been amazing. And again, just another way the, the support for this campaign has been more than we could ever have asked for. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, why don't you let our, our listeners know what are some of the other tiers? We mentioned prints. Uh, you have uh, obviously copies of the book. Uh, what are some other tiers that are available? Yeah. So like, if you want to get probably the simplest version, we have a digital version of the book. Uh, the digital version will be now 120 pages because we, we've hit a stretch goal and that's just story pages as well as some exclusive back matter that only be available through Kickstarter. That's got some character designs and some process stuff. Then we've got our hardcover, uh, which will be an oversized hardcover and it has a book ribbon as well, which is one of our stretch goals. Then after that, as you mentioned, we have prints. We have a few different levels of prints. The first one is a Radiant Black crossover print uh, by Erica and Marcelo Costa, who's the Radiant Black artist. Then from there, as I said, we have a few more layers of prints. We've got uh, prints from all sorts of artists. We've got Nicholas Scott. We've got Daco Lafuente, Tiffany Terrell, who did an amazing uh, print for our villain. I've got Dolly, who's this amazing artist who does um, official posters for all the, like, the Marvel Studios films. Um, yeah, we, we've got... Uh, a print by uh, Valeria Favosia. Um, totally butchered her name. I'm so sorry. Uh, but this print blew us away so much that when we're looking at stretch goals, we had this idea for a a mini comic, a little like Ashcan style thing, and we went to Valeria straight away because the the work there was so great, and we didn't want to take Erica off the main book because Erica will need all the time she has on that. Right. But we wanted to bring her more into the world and have her involved. So we got her involved in that. Uh, and then we do also have the uh, original art for Nicholas Scott's uh, print, which I think would be a very cool one-off thing to own. And I think yeah. that one's still available right now. Yeah, it is. Uh, I wish it was in my budget because Nicholas' uh, art is amazing as always. She's, she's uh, incredible and a lovely person as well. Uh, and then we also have opportunities to cameo in the book. And I think we've got maybe two of those left. So yeah, I think that's it. A, a range of options, depending on what you're into. But I think even at our base levels, because of the support of the, the fans, like being able to expand the book, we'll be able to add a, a whole bunch of features. So I think it's uh should be worth your money, I hope. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, that stretch goal uh, of the mini uh, comic, which uh, as we're recording this, it's uh, it's in it's within reach because there's a couple of weeks left. Everybody, uh, the project is is fully funded, as Matt said. The couple of stretch goals already hit uh, the book ribbon and the extra pages, um, so uh, vastly has surpassed the original amount. But there's about ten thousand to go to hit that mini comic stretch goal. So uh, just to remind everybody, you have until eight p.m. Pacific time on Wednesday, May fifth. Uh, so that would be uh, eleven p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, May 5th, in order to uh, to join the campaign. And there's a link in the show notes. Everybody, you can go and click there and, and check out the campaign. Uh, and hopefully, I'm, I'm really excited to hopefully get to that mini comic because uh, to your point earlier, Matt, about there, there possibly being you know other Inferno girls, this is a story of a, a different Inferno girl red, not necessarily Cassia, right? That's right. Yeah. it's uh, You can tell from the cover that her costume's a bit different. There's a bit of a different look. And... When you were talking before about sort of Erica's involvement in the book and, and building this world, there's so much 
world building that we've done. And not all of it necessarily is going to be explicitly in there, but I'm a big believer in having uh, sort of like several layers more than you think you'll need of world building done in case you take some turns that you weren't expecting. You don't want to hit a wall and be like, oh, wow, we didn't think that through. We want to be quite comprehensive. So this was a chance to spend a bit more time in a part of the that world building that we might have been able to if we didn't sort of have this community support. So we're very excited to make that what happen if we can. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you make. I've had other creators uh, tell me that as well, that they want to know, and specifically with Kickstarter projects, they want any most obscure question about the world that they've created. They want to be able to, to answer it, even if it doesn't yeah. make it into the book, because uh, to their point, it makes the world feel more real, which then helps the, the creative process. Do you find that to be uh, accurate? Very much. Yeah. I think that people could tell if you've constructed something that's like, you know, those uh, like, 2d uh shop fronts in old westerns you know they're like they're just they're just plywood held up by some sticks um i think there's a big difference between that sort of world and a world that makes sense it is constructed upon reasons that are constructed upon reasons that speak to some of the core ideas of your world and yeah as i said before like if you want to take a left turn in your story and explore something that wasn't necessarily the original plan you want to make sure that there's stuff there you want to make sure that it's robust and and meaningful and and still speaks to the grander ideas of your story. So I'm, I'm a big believer in, yeah, building a little deeper than perhaps might seem necessary initially. Have you uh, had to take advantage of that at all? Because uh, I'm sure you had an idea uh, of, of you know, the story you wanted to tell, probably beginning, middle, middle and end, before you brought Erica on. Perhaps there was something she brought to it, a uh, female perspective or, or whatever, where you did have to massage anything. So have you taken advantage of, of that larger world building? It maybe it was only built out in your mind necessarily. Yeah. I, I think that particularly, I mean, our focus right now is getting this book done and make it feel completed, making sure the people who get it feel like they have a whole story, but it's probably not a big secret that Eric and I also have been thinking about potential future stuff and speaking with Erica and sort of fleshing out these ideas has certainly helped us figure out where potential avenues for new ideas might be and and where some interesting places to dig around might be. And I think the relationships between both Cassia and her mother and also Cassia and the other people at the school, the other students are largely informed by, by Erica's ideas of who these people are. And I think have really opened some fascinating doors that I think would love it, love the chance to walk through a little bit more. So as a as a, a creator, as a writer, when you bring on somebody, you know, an artist, someone who's going to handle the visual side of things, but they they're passionate about the project, they bring their own ideas and it helps to flesh out the world. And you have to go back and not necessarily change things, but if it changes your your perspective of the story, uh, obviously that's exciting. But does it feel like more work because, you're like, oh, I thought I had it down. Or, or do you get so lost in the excitement of, of having something, uh, an end product that's better that you don't even really, really realize it? Yeah, I think the, I think the latter. I think that comics are so collaborative. And I think that if you aren't in love with collaboration, you shouldn't be doing comics at all. I think that if you, if you don't, love the fact that what you're going to be doing is going to be much more 
much different to what you originally envisioned in the first place, then you might as well be writing a novel, right? right. So I think that, yeah, I, I certainly would be bored out of my brain if the book was exactly what I thought it would be from its initial conception and I didn't get to workshop these ideas with other people and kind of expand uh, what it could be with people. So I, I think that's the best part of comics, frankly. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I, I think that it does, it's not even necessarily exclusive to comics. I, it reminded me uh, of something I he had heard Robert Kirkman tell me recently when we were talking about uh, the Amazon Invincible show. Uh, and he talked about how he, this is a different medium and he's changing the story around a little bit. And that's what keeps it exciting and fresh for him. Um, yeah. Fresh for people that are already familiar with the story. You get to constantly bring something new. So that that's a good point. Constantly be able to evolve and challenge yourself, not only in terms of getting the best story out, but make sure you're growing as a, a writer, right? Yeah, I, both both you as a writer and also it's it's stress testing your ideas. You know, I think it comes back to what I was saying before about you never want to go in with your mind made up about this stuff. You right. got to be willing to discover things about these ideas as you go. And I think part of that is is internal. It's about you going through this process with these characters and seeing where you end up. Some of it's external too. It, like you want to be finding out what your collaborators think about these things. You want to see what resonates with them and what doesn't and how they might challenge you or push back on some ideas and push you in a different direction. And I think that gets you to a much more nuanced, uh, much more interesting story ultimately. Yeah. And that's the goal, right? To put your absolute best work on the page. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's been great talking to you, Matt. Uh, congratulations on uh, the success of the project. Uh, reminder, everybody, you have until May 8th. You can go click the link in the show notes to go and check it out or just uh, do a search for Infernal Girl Red Kickstarter on Google and it'll come right up. Uh, and uh, Matt, if anybody wants to follow along with your work, other projects you have or uh, you know, wants to pick your brain about Infernal Girl, uh, where's the best place online to, uh, to follow you? Yeah, probably the best place is on Twitter. I'm Matthew Groom. That's Matthew with one T and G-R-O-O-M. No spaces on Twitter. And if you want an easy way to get to the Kickstarter, if you just go to infernogolred.com, it'll redirect you straight to that Kickstarter. Oh, awesome. Uh, and I'll put a link to uh, Matt's Twitter, everybody, in the show notes as well. So if you're having trouble finding them, you can go uh, click there. And I'll also, uh, once again, mention Self-Made, his image series, which is absolutely amazing. You can go back and do a search uh, for the Comic Source podcast. Uh, we had Matt on to talk about Self-Made uh, when the first issue dropped. So it's, it's a great series. It's a, a lot of fun. It has this big twist uh, at the beginning that takes you in a completely different uh, way than you expect. And uh, I recently, uh, probably in the last six months, reread it uh, in one sitting. And man, it, it really holds up. I love that. I love that story, Matt. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. And, and thank you for the chance to chat. I really enjoy talking with you. So getting to do it again is, has been a treat. Yeah, always. Uh, the door is always open. So uh, as we're closing up here, uh, I'll just remind everybody, uh, even if you think the project doesn't sound like it's for you or you wish you could join the campaign, but you don't have the funds right now, the way you can help Matt out and uh, the rest of his collaborators is go and share it on social media. The more Absolutely. eyes we get on this thing, the better, because I promise you, this has happened to me. There's nothing worse than discovering a Kickstarter that you would have loved to have been a part of, and it's already ended you know, the day or a couple days before. So please, even if you don't want to join, it's not for you or you don't have the means to share it so we can get uh, as many eyes as possible. So everybody that does want to be part of the campaign can uh, can get a chance to join. So uh, as we're uh, finishing up here, Matt, anything else to share with our listeners? Uh, no, I think that's it. Uh, 
we've got Kyle and I, uh, if you like our work, we're also doing the Trials of Ultraman at Marvel right now. I think we're coming up on issue two very soon. And the tri- the uh, the trade of our first mini, The Rise of Ultraman, uh, is in stores now if you want to check that out. All right. Well, there you go, everybody. Uh, so be sure you go and check out the Inferno Girl Red Kickstarter. It's uh, it's fantastic. I've already pledged. Can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh, and we want to thank you listeners for your support and for joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.